Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. Excited about today's guest. We're going to head to the heartland here. Kansas is the location. Benedictine College. Good friend Eric Peterson, EP. Man, it's been a long time coming. I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Of course, man. I appreciate you you reaching out to me late last week. And, you know, I was excited to get on with you and really just talk to you. You know, we talk through social media and, and text every once in a while, but it's good to hear your beautiful voice, my man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, as my old college professor said, it's a voice for radio. So, uh, you yeah. know, the, fa- the face doesn't match it. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, ble- I'm, I'm blessed in that regard. But, uh, you know, you know, uh, let's let's jump on in, man. Uh, you know, we're going to start a little bit with your background here. You know, obviously uh, a native of Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, you had an opportunity to to start your collegiate playing career um, at Kansas. Was that something coming up as a you know as a little guy? Is that something kind of like you dreamed of doing? Is that something that you really wanted to do coming up through the ranks? Yeah, man, the, the, I'm a Jayhawk. I, I, I bleed red and blue, and um, I'm born like you said. I'm born and raised in Lawrence, and I'm, basically my whole family went to KU. Uh, my uncle played there, uh, and my aunt and my what I call Uncle John Hadel played there. Obviously, he's a legend. Um, so I grew up going to football games, going to basketball games, going to basically all the camps that they offered in the summer. So my mom didn't have to hang out with me. But you know, so, so <laughs> it was it was one of those things that like growing up on Naismith Drive. That's that's all I knew when I was little. So um, you know, when we were searching for the school, you know, I, I was really hoping that. At the time, Bobby Randall and his staff would, would have some interest in, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, that they did, um, you know, and then they got let go. And one of the best things that ever happened to me is, is Rich Price came in and got the job at, at KU. And, you know, he's still there. I think he's in year 20. Um, but, it, you know, he he was a big and still is a big influence on my life, just personally and professionally. But man him coming in and and when he did was was one of those things that it was a match made in heaven for me so so you go there and, and we're going to talk we're going to dive into that him being an influence on you because you know obviously the the ties are still there um and we'll get into that here in a little bit but you, you know you go in you have an opportunity there at, at your dream school uh and then a couple years later you make a switch uh take yeah. us through that a little bit yeah, so, um, you know, I, I guess I got to go back a couple of years before that. My, my mom passed away when I was 14, so, you know, me and my dad were really close, and, um, you know, I, obviously we wanted to go to KU, and that was it. I think that was a dream for him. I'm, I'm not sure he ever told me that, but, um, you know, the, I think that he wanted me close to home, and um, so I was at KU for a year and a half, and my, my dad ended up getting sick and passing away in February. Um, so I, I transferred to Johnson County Community College, which was just straight up the, the road. My, my uncle was the AD there at the time, and I've known Coach, Coach Shelley since I've, I, I say I grew up with him, you know, and, um, you know, that whole situation couldn't have been couldn't have been better for me where where I was at home. I was taken care of and, and I still got the opportunity to play um, and, and still be relatively close to home and my family. Um, and, and then I went to Pitt State from there. So that's just a little bit south of, of Johnson County uh, and then finished my degree and, and finished my playing career at, at, as a gorilla at Pitt State University. Uh, one of the best nicknames, uh, it, mascot names yeah. in, in, all, in all the college sports. It's, and... it's the only one. It's the only one. And you know what's kind of crazy is that I was thinking about this the other day. Like I've been to some colleges that – um, that are very unique, either playing or coaching. So, you know, the Jayhawks, the only one out there, and that's probably the most that everybody recognizes, but the split face gorilla, man, that's the only one out there too. Um, (laughs) and, and so I got to wear both of those uniforms and, you know, if you think about it now, like our, our mascots, the Rocky, like it kind of looks like the Jayhawk. Um, weird looking little birds. So I don't know, maybe it just, I'm attracted to unique mascots and I want to play or coach at those places. <laughs> so you talk about that. I mean, you go, 
you go right into coaching there at your alma mater, right? I mean, that's where it started for you. Yeah. So I got my, I started my grad school. I did my grad school in a year, um, at at Pitt state. So I I don't recommend anybody doing that. That was a disaster. (laughs) Uh, Like I basically didn't have a life or, you know, I was a recruiting coordinator and I was doing grad school and I finished it all in a year. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to move on from Pitt State and, and um, that if I was going to do this coaching thing, I had to dive head into it. And, um, you know, I, I got the opportunity to go and work for John Hill at Fort Scott Community College, would, which was just up the road. It's about 30 minutes up the road. And I really got to learn what recruiting was like, what building a program was like, because John and I came into Fort Scott together. Uh, and, and he took over the program and um, we really kind of put it on the map with with team camps and tournaments and the success that he's had. It's it's been pretty fun to watch and knowing that I had a little piece of, of, of that. And, um, you know, and then from there, I went to Niagara University uh, up in western New York, um, you know, and, and had good experience up there. But ultimately got the, the chance to come back to KU and serve as uh, Coach Price, director of baseball operations, and um, man, that was a that was a coming home party. That that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, set my course of coaching um, in a different direction. I, I, you know, my my whole family's in administration, and I knew that I wanted to be in athletics and to get the look of what it looks like to be in the ops, what it looks like to see the whole organization run. Um, I got some, I got some experience that I don't know that I would have gotten as just an assistant. And, um, you know, I, I can't thank Marshall Bagley who basically runs all of KU baseball, um, and, and rich price for giving me the opportunity to really dive into it and continue my career and, and give me another viewpoint. But, uh, before we yeah. jump, before we go too far into that, that element though, I want to touch on the Niagara piece, right? Because you're at Niagara, you're recruiting coordinator, uh, you know, you're doing some stuff on the game day administration piece, which is something that obviously, yeah. you know, works for you and, and kind of what you liked. And, 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 you know, then you come back to KU. Was was that an easy decision? Because you're coming back home, you're coming back to KU, coming back to work for Coach Price? Or, or you know, was that a challenge for you? Because you you seem like you were you know an up and coming coach if you will there at Niagara who's already a recruiting coordinator at that level uh, you know and then you're coming back to KU to do you know like you said a director of ops position yeah yeah you, you know my experience at at, uh, at Niagara be candid like I went through a divorce up there um, it, it was it was not the easiest of times and. You know, I probably wasn't the best recruiting coordinator. I probably wasn't the best assistant that I could have been at that point. Um, so, you know, Coach Rob McCoy is, is still there and does a great job up there. And, you know, w- we just went our different ways. And, and so I resigned from that position. Um, I actually had two opportunities coming out of that. And one was to go be essentially the same role at Eastern Michigan, which we'll circle the wagons on that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was obviously to go do the same position at KU. Um, you know, after talking to Coach Price, that, that decision became pretty easy uh, to, to decide to, you know, I was going to get into that side of it and, and, and learn more and, and learn how to become a better assistant, learn how to become a better coach and, and really how to become a better helper to my head coach. Um, which, you know, I, in years of reflecting of, you know, how I did my job at, at Niagara, like I, I, I probably wasn't the best and I probably wasn't very good at it. Um, but, you know, that's I think that's part of the journey. And I think that's part of the learning process of, you know, how I help our grad assistants and how I help our assistants today. Um, you know, learning the things that I've learned along the way. I, I don't want them to be in that position where they leave here and they don't feel like they're prepared. Um, I, I want them to leave Benedict and ready to go and, and, and as prepared as I could possibly allow them to be, um, you know, and, and that's what I learned from Niagara. And that was the jump that I made to KU. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's the growth process, right? I mean, we all go through it at some point or another in our lives and it sounds like it, you know, just, that was a, a, a snowball effect, if you will, right. That kind of forced you to grow up almost. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it was the, I think it was the right thing, you know, and, and there's no ill will against Rob McCoy, man. He, he had to run it. He's running a program. And now as, as a head coach, 
like I, you don't really get to see that light until you sit in the chair. Um, and now I see it and, and you got to own all aspects of the program. And, and, and it was probably, it was probably the right move on both ends for both parties. And, um, you know, I, I, I truly appreciate the opportunity that he gave me, um, you know, and, and, um, I'm not here today without that. So, you know, I, I don't want it to be go unknown that, that I do appreciate that opportunity. So, so you spent a couple of years there at KU as the assistant, um, or sorry, the, the ops director there. And then you get an opportunity at uh, Eastern Michigan, like you mentioned. Um, and, and, you know, you're now you're, you're, you're assistant baseball coach, you're a paid, you know, paid assistant. You're, you're kind of, you're making your way. Right. So, so, you know, now, now you're leaving home again. Right. And, and, and but you're leaving home with a lot of different knowledge and not a lot of knowledge gained. And, you know, take us through that process. Yeah. So, so I was, I was at, you know, ended up at KU for a year. Um, and, and it was, it was one of those positions that we, we basically built and, and it wasn't there before it was, it was kind of multiple positions. And then it's, um, it's built into like a full-time paid position now. And, and Wally Martial does an unbelievable job at KU doing that. Um, so, so essentially I was at KU for like nine months and then I got the, uh, Eastern Michigan job, um, which basically all my pay was through camps, right? So, so I, I was used to that. And to be quite honest, like most of my pay all came from camps until I got to jury, right? Um, mm. So, so getting to Eastern Michigan, we barely got our feet wet, and then we were let go as a staff, right? So within essentially within three years, we've been let go, or I've been let go twice, right? And I'm <sighs> like man you know like this is this is this real life like is this how this <laughs> thing works you know like I, I i i i couldn't imagine doing that twice and so um at that point i i, I took my fiance up to eastern michigan she worked at mott so if you know anything about children's hospitals mott is at the university of michigan and she worked in the car- cardiac icu unit which is unbelievable mm. what she does um she didn't want to leave. <laughs> she she had a great job. And I'm like, hey, I, I don't think Backage is hiring a guy that just got fired at Eastern, man. I, I, I don't <laughs> think that's happening. So so she was like, OK, let's go back home. We got married that next fall. And I God bless what happened. But I, I got an opportunity to go work for Scott Nasby at Drury. And finally, and this is the grace part of it. So I'm in year one, two, three four, five, six, and I have not seen a freshman become a senior yet. Right. So, so think about that. Like I haven't, I haven't been able to see the development process and not necessarily from the baseball side, just from like an 18 year old becoming a 22 year old. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I finally get that opportunity at jury to see a group of freshmen become a group of seniors. And like it really hit me that man I gotta go find that place that's home and um you know fast forward here I am right and about to see a group of freshmen become a group of seniors so pretty 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 interesting path and I'm not sure I recommend it to you (laughs) (laughs) so I mean obviously you you spent four years at Drury you you kind of see that transition then you know you're named the head coach here at Benedictine. You're the 15th head coach in program history. I'm assuming from everything you've told us here over the last 15 or 20 minutes or so that, I mean, taking that job was a no-brainer for you, right? Yeah. So, so there was actually two. So, um, it, it got to the point where I wasn't getting any interviews. Like, I wasn't actively leaving jury, but. Like the names I would put my my resume in or the places, I just I wasn't getting what you know what I thought I should have been. And to be quite honest, I, I got pretty discouraged, so I just stopped. Like I stopped putting my resume out there, and mm-hmm. then I got top two job interviews. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's supposed to work that way, you know. <laughs> um, so so I went onto the campus of Maryville uh, University in St. Louis. And interviewed for the job there, uh, and then obviously interviewed for the job at Benedictine. Benedictine's 50 minutes away from where my wife and I grew up. Um, and and if you recall, both of my parents have passed away at this point, and 
So we have a, you know, we have a little boy that um, doesn't have any grandparents around, right? And so St. Louis didn't make a whole lot of sense at that point, um, you know, and, and, and Benedictine did. And so I remember talking to my AD and texting with him and being like, "Is am I your guy? Like, it, you know, like I'd really like to, you know, tell Maryville I'm coming to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And he told me a couple of, like, a day later, he's like, you're our guy. And I'm like, all right, I'm in. Like, so I was like, Ashley, go get your job back at Children's Mercy in, in downtown Kansas City. Let, let's circle the wagons here and let's figure out, you know, how to get back home. I, I'm pretty sure by the end of the day, she had a house picked out and <laughs> where we were going to live and all of that stuff. So yeah. I think she was a little excited. For that. Yeah. Uh, hey, by the way, a house you've done some work on, which we'll touch on here in a little bit, because yeah. I, I see I see your yeah. pictures, man. You're yeah, grinding on that thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let, let's talk about, you know, Benedict in third year. Obviously, you know, last year was what it was. Um, so you're you're basically a second year, third year head coach, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So so like my first year was a whirlwind. So I can't really tell you how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like every first year head coach would tell you. And then we get into our second year, um, and we basically get twenty nine. So we were sixteen and thirteen. We get you know, 29 games in, and then and I, I think we were one of the last NAIA games to play um, before everything got shut down. So, um, you know, kind of a cool background story. We got one of our I, – I, I thought I knew, a, like, a suspended season was coming. So I had a senior that I knew had a job. wasn't Like, it wasn't going to wait around, wasn't going to come back, and, you know, if, if something happened like that. So we got him into play, and it was it was just one of those things that I think about, like, I'm I'm glad we got him the opportunity to do that before it did get shut down. So yeah, yeah, and then we get into third year, and you know the the COVID stuff hits, and we get three of our you know best players back, and two All Americans, and one of our best arms, uh, our number one, and you know like a lot of a lot of COVID has done a lot of bad things, but a lot of COVID has done some great things, and it really put us in a position to be successful last year, and. Um, you know, our leadership and, and with our battalion leaders and and everything that they've gone through in the last three years, uh, we don't get to a regional. We, we don't get to go to Louisiana and, and New Orleans without those guys. And, and to be quite honest, without COVID, um, you know, and that's just the way that we look at it. So now that we were into the year four, um, after coming off of a regional for the first time in I think it's 14 or 15 years, like this, I think this program's regenerated. It, it, it's got a lot of excitement behind it. The alums have been amazing. Um, our families have been awesome in the support. And, you know, we scrimmaged yesterday and the fans and the stands were full, you know, and, and I like, I don't know what else I can say about <laughs> our support and coming out for a fall baseball game at this level. So it, it's been a fun process. But like I said, this is the first time that. I've got to see my freshmen turn into seniors and it's just, it's a whole different ball game when, when you can call them yours, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that process of it is, is something special. So you you touched on it there a little bit of fall game at this level, I think is what you said there. And, and I mean, you, you've been at essentially every level, right? I mean, I think you may skip, skip D3 there, right? Like you've been at the community college level, the NAIA level, the D2 level and the D1 level. I mean, Take us through the the major differences, right? I mean, obviously, you know, resources being what they are at the right. varying levels, right? I mean, let's throw that out of the equation. Uh, but, like, take us through what's, what some of the biggest differences are uh, that you encountered going from, you know, a Division One to a Division Two, then ultimately settling there at Benedictine College at NAIA. Yeah, that, well, you know, I, I, I do kind of want to touch on the facilities part, like, uh, one one of my good buddies is Andrew Mackey, and and he just became the head coach at Cleary, um, and he, he made a comment. He's like, yeah, I had to go to the NAI level to get a great facility, you know. Yeah. Like he's got one of the best facilities in the country, and he's going to turn that into like he's going to turn that into a powerhouse. I I have no doubt. But you know, I, I look at our facility, um, you know, and it's something that we talked about when we were at Jury. We wanted an on campus facility that had turf that 
you know, had the grandstands, had the press box, had, you know, the scoreboard, had everything. And mm -hmm. so when I came on my interview, I guess it's three years ago, four years ago now, like, and saw the facility, I'm like, hey, I, I, we can sell this. We can grow this program and we can grow it naturally, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about recruiting, but like we we recruit high school kids and we probably have three transfers on our whole team. Right. And mm -hmm. and so it's just something that we can bring families on campus. We can show them our campus. We can show them our academic buildings, our success center. We can show them all of that and then they can come see baseball. Like I don't have to sell them baseball first. And so I, I think that that's I think that's a big difference than maybe some of the places that I've been before where we had to sell the baseball aspect first. So, you know, for me and my personal experience, like that's been the biggest difference since I've been here, that some of the some of the jobs that I I worked or been at, I had to sell the baseball aspect or piece first. And I don't think I have to. And I, I know I don't have to do that here, which is. It's been awesome, um, especially in the recruiting process. So uh, other major differences, um, it's, it's hard to get away from the funding. You know, it's hard to get away from that aspect because there are the ones that have funding and they're the ones that didn't. And I've been to both. Right. And, and uh, but I think the thing that's that's important to know about basically every baseball coach I've been around is they know how to survive with or without it. And they know how to make the most of what their situation is and um, whether it's expected or it's just, they know that they got to do that for their program to succeed. Um, you know, I, I think that's what happens in college baseball, but um, I, I think the difference lies in a lot of different places of, of what you're looking for academically, right? What you're looking for experience wise. Um, if you want the big campus, it's there, right? If you want the small campus, it's certainly out there. I, I think that, from a recruiting standpoint or from a recruit standpoint, you really have to identify that early in the process and, and what you're looking for and what you're most comfortable with. Right. Um, I'll be a hundred percent candid. I thought I wanted to be a Jayhawk, right? I figured out I wanted to play for KU. I really figured out my freshman year after my one nine one GPA that I was <laughs> not a KU academia. Right. Like, like, I, I needed to not be a number. I needed to be uh, somebody in a small classroom where I got smaller attention, right? Where mm -hmm. I've got more individual uh, attention in my academics. So, you know, I, I think that that's a huge part of the process when you're going through it as a student athlete, as a recruit, is to really identify what makes you successful in the classroom, um, because ultimately that will make you successful on the field. As a, as a coach, how do you identify that in players? And then as a follow-up, like how do you help them identify that on their own, right? I mean, because I'm sure you get kids that come on campus who are, you know, a 3.0, 3.5, whatever their GPA might be, right? But the GPA is simply a number, right? I mean, you show right. up, you show up and you're going to get a 2.0. You ask a couple of questions, you're going to get a 2.5, right? And, and hey, you do those two things and you do your homework, you're probably going to get a 3.0. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways around that, right? I mean, heck, that's at least the way I got through college. But yeah. I, I'm just, what I'm, what I'm getting at is, is how, as a coach and a recruiter, do you help players identify that so say for example a kid comes in you know hey I, i'm really interested uh but you know he's like you i i i need that class where you know there's 15 20 kids in there not a lecture with you know 350 kids like you know like i experienced my freshman year uh yeah. you know how do you help kids identify that during the recruiting process well i i think you simply ask them you know, and, and you, you, I think you can ask, okay, like, are you coming from a big high school experience or a small one? You know, and, and what does your classroom look like? And, and are you successful, um, you know, if there's 25 kids in your classroom or is there 15? You know, like, mm -hmm. um, what, what is, what are you comfortable with? You know, are you, are you comfortable with getting outside of your comfort zone? Right. Like, I, I think that screams big college, right? Like, because, when you get put in those auditoriums with, I mean, I, man, I signed up in Hoke Auditorium with a thousand people looking around me, right? Oh. Like, 
And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to struggle here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nuts. So, you know, and, and I would say I came from a bigger high school with a graduating class of like 400, 500 and, um, you know, and I, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready for that at the time. Um, and I'm sure there was other factors going on, but, uh, but, but I think it's very, I think it's very important from both ends to, to be really honest with each other, right? Like, I, I think sometimes in the coaching world, we get caught up in getting the commitment and getting the yes, right? And we, we don't make sure that that yes is the right fit on our end as well as their end, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I really enjoy about this level is that we can make sure that is a correct fit on both ends. Now, it happens where it's not, right? Where we do everything we feel is right. They do everything we feel is right. They get here in a year and a half, two years in, it's not the right fit. But I, I think the vetting process has to go both ways. Yeah, and no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. That whole that whole scenario you laid out about the auditorium, it, I mean, it just... It hits home. I'm I'm the same yeah. way as as you know you talked about, and so let, let's stick to to recruiting and and you know more on a grander scale, kind of your just your philosophy as as a head coach and that you've put into your program, and and let's talk a little bit about you know every coach seemingly has their pillars of coaching, if you will, yeah. right? Take yeah. us through take us through what yours are. Well, so so ours is a house, right? And and we build this house together. And this is individually with me and and every student athlete that we have. And um, with with that house is is our foundation, in which our foundation is TLC. And TLC is trust, love, and communication. And if we can do those three things at a high level, we can do great things together. And very little of that has to do with on the field. Uh, more has to do with who we are and what what we're becoming. And I want I want those three things to bleed into everything that we do um, when we're building this house together. We put that as the foundation because I want it to bleed up right into the pillars that, you know, every coach has. Right. And, and for us, we're going to be super we're going to be super stubborn on, you know, w the way that we build this house and how we're putting this thing together. So the first one is going to be our academics and how we do, you know, academically and does it line up with what you're looking for? Uh, you know, if you want to go into architecture or engineering, we're one, we're the only small um, private school in the country at the NA level that has both. Right. So we get a huge amount of interest in the engineering architecture side. Right. But but that's part of the process of, of recruiting where we're going to identify, OK, what are you looking for? What do you want? Right. Well, then how are you going to be successful academically? OK, you, you've you've pretty much shown us that academically you can handle it here. Right. By by being able to get into the school, by being interested um, and being proactive on, on the, the recruiting side, but more importantly, the academic side. OK, so at that point, we start talking about what we expect academically. OK. Um, we do things a little differently. We don't sit guys in a, in a classroom um, in study halls. We, d we don't sit them um, with an assistant coach for three hours a week. Um, for me, that's a punishment, and I don't want our academic success to feel like a punishment. I want our academic success to feel like a reward. So we flip it. So the guys that are in study hall, so that's all incoming freshmen um, and transfers, which we only had one this year. But it's all of those guys have three hours a week, and it's anything outside of their dorms. So if it's going into um, a professor's office hours, the student success center, uh, learning tables with tutors, we want our guys to record that, reward that, and, and keep doing it, right? Um, so every guy has an academic liaison that is an upperclassman that's in their major. Right. So if I got a freshman coming in that's an engineering major, he's a civil engineering. Well, I will have a, a, a junior or senior civil engineering major be his academic liaison and guide him through the process. Right. Since he's already been there, already done that. He knows the professors. He knows when to take them, uh, take them in the spring, who to take and how to take their classes. So we try to set them up for success there. Um, and then there's another filter on top of that, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but it's called our battalion leaders. 
uh, and they check in on their battalion with the same pillars that we're putting up with our house. Okay, so that's the academic pillar in a nutshell, right? The community mm-hmm. and social involvement is the second pillar, right? We're going to be servants. We're, we're going to give more than we get. Um, we feel like we live in two communities. We live in the Atchison community. We live in the Benedictine community. We're going to serve both. We've done over a thousand hours of community service. Um, if, if that's not something that you're interested in doing, don't come here because it's something that is, is extremely important for us. Um, it, we, we call it the closed fist mentality, right? We can't get the things that we want if we're holding on to things that we have. And the most important thing that we have is our time, and we're going to donate it. And we're going to give back to it, uh, especially to the kids. So we do two projects with the kids that are really important to me um, and, and obviously important to our kids. But we do a, 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 a project and a program called Sleep in Heavenly Peace where we build these beds and deliver them to kids that are sleeping on the floor in our community. And last weekend, two wow. weekends ago, we built 36 of them. So let me just stop you there, right? Like, like the thought of building 36 beds is pretty incredible. Right. That we can yeah. do that on Saturday. The thought that 36 kids need a bed is right. mind blowing to me. Right. right. Like it, it's 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 really sad and it's really unfortunate. But we're helping those kids get off the floor. Right. And experience something that all of us essentially take for granted. Right. That, that right. we're going to go to bed in a bed. You know, we were going to go to sleep in a bed tonight. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about constantly is that. Growth happens outside of our comfort zone. And so everything that we're trying to do um, academically, community and baseball is all of our outside of our comfort zone. And if we can do that, if we can push our guys to do that and, and, and be self-motivated, right, and take ownership and pushing themselves out of their comfort zone, then we got a chance to be really good people. Right. And if we got a chance to be really good people, then maybe we can be a really good program. And if we can be a really good program, we might win some games along the way. But those pillars have to be put up in order, in my opinion, to make that happen, right? So the community involvement, like, it's it's something that's unwavering. And it, if that's not something you want to do and you don't want to push yourself and you don't want to become uncomfortable um, so you can grow, then, then Benedictine's not the place for you, right? And, and we're okay with that. We get plenty of no's anyways. We, you know, one more is not going to hurt our feelings. So... <laughs> You know, uh, and the third one is baseball. And we put it that way because like, it, it's the four and the 40 process to us. Like, you're not going to play baseball for 40 years after here, but you are going to play life. And we want you to be prepared to, to be the most successful after the four years you spent with us. So we take a mentality of every day we get an opportunity with our student athletes to make sure that after the four years they're with us, that they're the most successful in the next four. And and that boils down to being, you know, just great people, becoming something bigger than ourselves. Um, You know, what does that look like? You know, what does it look like helping somebody else and and, um, preparing ourselves to serve others? Like, I I think that that's a huge part of of becoming better, you know, and, and, um, you know, if we can make impacts in doing that, then then we're going to be successful. Um, but the baseball part, yeah, go ahead. Do do you find it challenging in today's day and age with, you know, social media, the look at me world that we, that, that we live in, but, you know, especially teenagers live in to kind of instill that community piece, that, that servitude, you know, that, Hey, we're here to serve others. Uh, you know, a lot of kids are raised with that. Uh, but I would say more kids are not. Uh, you know, and especially again now with with everything these kids have access to and 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 everything that they see, is that a challenge to kind of instill that into a larger group? Um, no, and I'll say this. I'll say this for a reason. Uh, w- one particular reason is because I lead a small group of guys called battalion leaders mm-hmm. who lead a smaller group of guys in their battalions. So. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a, a bloated roster. It's unbelievable number. There's no way I could lead that big of a number. Um, and, and I really started at Eastern Michigan with the battalion leaders and Jay Alexander and 
And he showed me that you can lead through the leaders, right? And they can have their own voice and they can have ownership in the program. Once the players feel like they own the program, then they're going to take better care of it. So they see the values, right? They see what we're trying to install and they believe in it. The longer I feel like we've recruited here, we recruited the kids to have those same values, right? That it's not going to be a challenge to get them to be convinced to serve others because that's what they believe in already, right? The, the, the other blessing that we have is our battalion leaders instill this house that I'm talking about. They mm-hmm. create the own TLC. They create what their expectations are in the classroom, in the community, and on baseball. And everybody looks up to our battalion leaders, right, where their influence on the program is their own. Um, So all of a sudden, we're creating leaders in our battalions to be our next leaders, right? So that system is, hey, this is what we do. This is what we're about. Um, At that point, man, as a coaching staff and, and certainly myself, I take a step back, right? And, and I let them run with it because if I'm pushing and pulling, I can only go so far. But if they're taking us with us, we could go as far as they go. And I, I truly believe that. And I and like, I think they believe it. Um, I give them ownership. Like they know everything. Our battalion leaders know everything about this program from budget to what we spend, to how much gear costs, to what travel is to, and they, they take ownership. They, they design all of our gear. Um, like, think about that. Have you ever been able to design your high school gear or your right. college gear? Right. Like, they design everything. Um, and so they, they feel like they have a piece of the puzzle um, yeah. and they have ownership on it. And then when they put it all together, man, that puzzle looks pretty cool at the end of the year. Yeah. And how do you go about selecting those battalion leaders? Is that something, I mean, I presume it's earned much like a captaincy of any team would be. Uh, but are you know are they are they voted upon by their teammates or are they you know selected by the coaching staff how do those guys come to become the battalion leaders yeah so so this process is i i, I really like this process so it starts july 1st i and, and they get a whole packet so a whole team gets a um welcome packet a full year calendar um, the parents get that as well, right? And our parent president is awesome. Um, and he, he disseminates all of that information and makes sure our, our parents know our schedules and all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, along with that, our players get an application, application process, okay? They Big have thanks to the University of Texas recruiting coordinator Sean Allen for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news, rankings, and like event information. And until next time, that's the we'll first see you at step the of becoming a leader is wanting to be, right? Mm-hmm. So what we do is a week before um, we come back from school, we ask all everybody that's interviewed, everybody that's applied, to come in and interview. They have to go in suit and tie, right? They have to dress like the job that they want. Okay, there's a lot of reasons we do that, but the number one reason is I don't want these guys to interview for their first job is when they're trying to get paid, mm-hmm. right? I want them to interview for a job and learn from it, right? Because some of these interviews are horrendous. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're really bad. Some of these interviews are amazing, right? So what we do is is we take the application, the those questions, us four coaches will interview, and it can go, it could go on any tangent, right? It could go in any direction. But one of the things that's happened in the last four years is it's usually 100 degrees with 100% humidity or it's storming here when it's interviewing. Okay, mm-hmm. So their walk from our facility and our locker, our offices, to the parking lot is about a half mile. So it's a long walk, especially in suit and tie. Well, so they're stressed already. They're already – this is an uncomfortable situation, and I think that's a word that you'll hear a lot in this in, in, in this interview is that we try to get our guys into those spots. Yeah. So we interview them, right? And we try to find the guys that answer it the best, that handle themselves the best in a situation that's not comfortable, that is stressful, that's um, going to challenge them. Because we feel that that's when we need our leaders the most, right? So then we pick. We pick the best ones. 
we don't have a finite number. We don't set the number at 10 um, because if we have, we had 17 guys apply, apply this year. Um, if we had 17 great leaders, I don't want to say, all right, I got to let 17 of these leaders go. I want as many leaders as, as we could possibly have on this team. Um, but if I put it at 10 and I only have nine, I'm not going to put a bad leader in there just because I got to get to a number. Right. 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 Um, so we, we, we picked 11 this year, right? The battalions then vote on their leader. Okay. So now there's a hierarchy being built. Okay. They vote on their leader, which is called their commander. Then the commander sees over them. Okay. Once the battalions get set, then they do a team draft. The only rule in the team draft is that they cannot pick or they have to pick all new guys first, right? So they can't go and pick their junior buddies or their freshman buddies that they came in with, right? They have yeah. to pick all new guys first. So what it turns out to be is like a small group of battalion leaders in the size of like four to five, okay? Then their job is to go out and they, they set their academic groups, right, and their academic liaisons. And then they set their community group. So all of those, all 10 of those battalion leaders have a community group. So either the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, um, all kinds of stuff in town, right? So they're responsible for our community outreach, right? Uh, and then they get into the baseball part where they get their gear, they get all of that stuff. Each battalion leader has a star on their, their practice gear for every year that they've been a battalion leader. So that does a couple of things for them. It keeps them accountable or holds them accountable for what their actions are. Uh, but it also, more importantly, in my opinion, it shows everybody who our leaders are. And if you've been through a practice, you've been through a fall practice, it takes two weeks to figure out who everybody's name is, right? Right, right, right. So, and so what it does is it exposes them to say, hey, that's a leader. Like, I can go to that guy if I have a question about anything, I, I, something's going on. Even if it's not my battalion leader, I can go to that guy and I can count on him being a great leader for me and somebody that, you know, will help me out when I need it. Okay. So we, yeah. we've touched on a little bit battalion leaders design of our gear. They tell us what hotels we're sleeping in. Um, the, the food that we're eating. I mean, they have complete ownership over the entire program. Basically, we turn the keys over, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we're just the guardrails. We're just keeping them on the road. But they're going to drive us to where we're going to get to. Yeah, that's that. That's awesome. You you know, one of the things that you've you've touched on a lot here, and and I want to just go back to it. Uh, before we really dive into the recruiting piece is, is, is trust, right? I mean, the TLC, yeah. right, is trust. And so, I mean, what does that mean in your program? Because I've asked this question of a lot of coaches, and, it, and I seem to get, you know, different answers, you know, based on the program, based on the head coach personality, based on the personality of the team. What, what, what does trust mean in, in your program? Oh, loaded question, bud. Um, yeah, well, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with the bangers here. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. I, I love every minute of it. it you know, I, I think it's very singular. I, I, I think that, um, you, you know, one thing that we try not to talk about is, and I hear it a lot, but it, it's that this is a family, right? And yeah. if, we have to, if we have to tell ourselves that we're a family, I don't think that we really are. Right. I think that it's understood that this is a big family. This is a big group. In order to make this thing work, TLC has to play a huge part in it. Right. And everything that we do. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I'm, it's interesting that you bring up what trust means to me, because every day before and after practice, we bring up an old guy and we bring up a new guy. And I ask them, obviously, who they are. Uh, but what does TLC mean to them? So I get an old version of it, right? I get an old version of, of that they've lived it for three or four years now. And then I get a version of they've lived it for a week now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it really allows us to see where we're at in the program and where each guy is. So I, I circle the wagons back. At, I think the trust is individually. We do, we do checkups check and check-ins every two weeks, right, where I meet with every single one of our guys. And we cover four categories. We cover 
how you doing? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. how are we? And then we cover, you know, academics. What's your family living situation like? Is everything good? Um, and then the baseball part of it. And we try to knock down that wall, right? It is as soon as we possibly can, because I don't know how to get to love and I don't know how to get to communication if you can't trust me and I can't trust you. Right. Yeah. And so that becomes more relational and, and, and that becomes more personal and individual. And then I think if we can do that one group at a time or you, th you talk about battalions, that's a small group. Like if we could trust a small group at a time, then you become, OK, my I can trust the battalions. And then I can trust the, the commander. I can trust the assistants and then in the whole program. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I think it circles around. I, I think it's very individual. I think it's very unique. Um, and I think it, it has to be one person at a time. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And I mean, that seems to be, you know, I, I love what you said there with the, you know, if you can't trust me, you know, how am I going to reach you, if you will, right? I mean, it's like, it, it, what's the old saying that 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 players uh, don't care how much you know, yeah. or you know, until right. they know how much you care. Uh, care. You know, and yeah. that I mean, that's the yeah. truth, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. But let, let, let's shift gears over to recruiting. EP, I look at your roster, man. Your twenty-one, twenty-two roster. I see kids from Kansas. I see kids from Missouri, from Nebraska, naturally. But I also yeah. see kids from Texas. I see yeah. kids from Arkansas. I see kids from Washington. I see yeah. kids from Colorado. Uh, Illinois, and I see about a half dozen guys. I mean, you got a guy from Arizona. I see about a half dozen guys from California. Uh, yeah. You know, you wouldn't anticipate seeing that broad of a reach from an NAIA school in Kansas, but here we are, right? I mean, let, let's let's talk about the recruiting and, you know, how are you able to get you know, access to, uh, because again, I gotta, I gotta imagine the NAIA recruiting budget is going to be a little bit different than say <laughs> a power five school. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, and if your battalion leaders are, are, are aware of that budget, you know, Hey, uh, that might be even smaller, but, uh, yeah. you know, take us through that process. I mean, how are you, how are you able to identify these guys from, I mean, literally across the country? Yep. Well, so I learned a long time ago that you never leave an un, uh, an email not returned because mm -hmm. you never know who's on the other side of that email, right? And you never know what connections, why they're reaching out. You, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. So we have a rule here that any communication that we get, right, it, a text, a call, an email, um, anything that we return that email within 48 hours, right? So we want to make sure that if a recruiting process starts, we connect with anybody that starts that, right? The other thing that we have done, I think, really well here is the diversity of our coaching staff, right? So if you think about where our coaches are from, okay? So I've been basically everywhere on the East Coast, right? Like I've, I've been that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been connected with a lot of people because I'm old and I have a lot of gray hair <laughs> and no hair on the top. Okay? I, I'm so, right there so, with you. <laughs> so that helps. But my recruiting coordinator is from California. Okay. My pitching coach is from Nevada. My uh, assistant hitting coach is from Wisconsin. Okay. So yeah. we have now covered everywhere. Okay. One of the things that I take a lot of pride on is that we do a really good job of delegation and letting guys work. Okay. I understand at Benedictine, this is not a destination school if you're an assistant coach, right? Like my, my top assistant doesn't make enough to survive. Okay. So mm -hmm. he is learning how to do this whole thing and then get a job, get a better job. My two GAs are learning how to do everything. So when they get, a full-time job or they get a paid job, they're ready to dominate the position that they're in. Okay. So that, that's, that starts there, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that we do comes through our office recruiting wise. I split up and we divide and conquer. So we get emails from everywhere. Okay. The ultimate goal is the hope that we respond to all of them. So we'll get the Southern California 
New Mexico, Arizona, Washington, Colorado, um, Florida, Texas. We'll get those kids. Arkansas, right? We'll get those kids because we simply responded, right? Um, yeah. and, and started that process of recruiting and showing, you know, what Benedictine is and, and what we can provide and how we can serve them. Um, and then really it's grown. So we got one Arkansas kid my freshman year. We've gotten like four commitments from Arkansas now. So I, what, what kids see is their home state, right? So now we got Minnesota kids. So guess what I guess where a lot of my emails are coming from? Minnesota, uh, right. right? So they start seeing their like states within a roster and they're like, hey, there's a Minnesota kid there. Like if he's there, like, let me check this place out. Hey, there's a Florida kid there. Well, okay, let me check that out. Let me check what this place is, right? Yeah. And then and then when they start looking at it, we send a recruiting brochure um, that I think is very unique to, to us and our level uh, that basically lays out our entire program. So that could be sent in a hard copy or an electronic copy, but they get a like a, a basically a presentation right in front of their face, right in their hand of what exactly we are. From that point on, if we get those kids on campus and they're offered a scholarship, our success rate is over 90% of them committing to school. So wow. it, it's really that process of, okay, let's start it. Let's see what that looks like. Let's, you know, we talked about this earlier. Like, is this going to be a marriage that works on both ends? Mm -hmm. Is this a right fit? If it is, cool, let's bring them on campus. Let's get them to the academic side. Let's make sure that works first. Let's make sure that the community social involvement works. Then get them over to the baseball, and that's an easy sell at that point, right? So, like, once we get down the road, man, like, we can – I feel like we can go anywhere, okay, and, and go and get a kid from anywhere because we'll connect with them, and then once they get on campus, they'll love it, right? Yeah. Ultimately, we like to recruit within a gas tank. Okay, so uh -huh. you know the pockets that we live in, that the majority of our roster comes from, it's going to be Omaha, it's going to be Wichita, it's going to be Kansas City, and it's going to be St. Louis. Like all of those places are within a gas tank. That that's a that's a, a key thing because those moms want to come watch their boys play, yeah. right? And, and those dads want to be on campus and want to be a part of their lives. And we fully invest in them and we expect them to fully invest in us. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so we we have a we have a motto, you know, win within a gas tank and then and then answer all the emails that we get within 48 hours because you never know what's on the other side of that line. Yeah. And have, have you noticed or have you seen, you know, with COVID, right? I, I mean, obviously, out here in California, you know, the big thing when when COVID hit, you know, the everybody's talking in circles that you know, hey, JUCO baseball in California is about to be really good, um, you know, or even the D twos and and the D threes in California is going to be really good. Are you seeing that now as a result of you know rosters at the D one level, even at the D two level being as large as they are? Uh, you know, are you starting to see a different caliber player reach out to you? Yes. And I think it's twofold. I think that they're seeing the success of um, the program and, and mm -hmm. they're seeing the direction it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think what else is happening that's a benefit for us. And, and I'm going to flip this just a little bit. OK, I think the transfer portal is massive for our success in recruiting. And I'll tell you why, because everybody's taking transfers. We have three transfers on our entire team, yeah. right? So now, like, we're, we've always been locked in on high school kids, always, okay? But the transfer portal, everybody's going there, right? And especially at our league, like our level, it's, it's super transfer driven. And I completely understand why. For us, we've, found our niche in the high school level where we can develop our own guys under our own system right now that's not saying that we wouldn't take a transfer we wouldn't you know drip into the the transfer portal but we see so many programs that we go up against it living in it that we can go and recruit high school kids and we can go and get them and show them one they're going to get more academic money two they're going to wear one jersey while they're here 
And then three, like they're going to have an experience that they'll remember for the rest of their life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like we can sell those kids on that. And I think there's a massive pool of high school kids that are really struggling for a place to go, um, especially the ones that don't care about what level. They just want an opportunity. Uh, yeah. Those are the kids that we're really successful on. So uh, I think I think the transfer portal, I think the COVID was massive for us, especially when we got shut down. And really the, the only ones I ever saw out were NAIs and some of the JUCOs. Like the NCAA schools couldn't go out, right? So yeah. it, was, it was basically just my whole staff. And we got the full reign of, you know, whatever high school kid we really liked, right? Like, and it was it was huge for our success. This class that we brought in is really, really talented, um, you know. And, and so what happens, I think, in, in recruiting is kids see where talented kids go and they're like, well, he was really good. He went there. I'm going to check that place out. Um, you know, and we're not going to get all of them, but we're going to get we're going to get enough of them to be successful. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That, that's awesome. And and AP, before I let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the barbecue talent. <laughs> OK, because because I've seen some of the stuff you're putting out there, man. What you know, the, the, the barbecue, obviously, yeah. you're, you're not too far from Kansas City there. So, you're, yeah, you know, you're yeah, per, yeah, pretty yeah. good spot to get some barbecue. What you know, let, 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 let's chat, talk to uh, another coach about this. who's a big fan of, of barbecuing himself and. Uh, you know, what? what's your go-to on the uh, smoker? You know what's funny is I just put out a brisket today. So oh. it's, we, yeah, so we are on fall break. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to thaw out a brisket today. We're going to, it's a tri-tip, you know, so you got to, uh-huh. you got to, you got to manicure it right. You get, it's, it's a little baby or it'll go away quick. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know, I really, um, I've always had the little fat kid in me, um, where, where I love some good food, man. And, and, and like, I, I'm not going to get away from, I love cooking. Right. I, I think the part of it that uh, I really love about it is the, the creation part and, yeah. and, and feeding my family and, and just the time, the process of it. I, like if somebody tells me again, I can't do this, this coaching thing, I will probably go to culinary school and, and I will <laughs> probably become a chef because I have a, I have a unique passion for it. And I, I think it's I think it's fun. I think it's it's a lot of fun watching people enjoy your food right i I think it's the same thing in coaching like i think it's a lot of fun watching guys have success i I think it's a lot of fun uh, you know watching a program grow and develop it i I think there's a lot of key factors into that uh but definitely covid played a huge role into that um it also played a huge role into me getting a treadmill um, so, so this, 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 uh, you know, this fatty's been on the treadmill, you know, going yeah. on, do, trying to do two miles a day and, and trying to get after it. But man, I, lo- I learned a lot of new skills. I, I, I know how to redo a fireplace. I know how to do flooring. Um, I know how to do some cool things now. So, so if my AD doesn't want me anymore, I, I think I can survive at this point. I don't know if I could have done that a couple of years ago. The problem is, man, I keep showing my wife these pictures of you. Know, you, I saw yeah. your fireplace, your flooring. She's yeah. like, man, what are you doing? You know, you spend all your time, <laughs> yeah. spend all your time cooking food, man. I'm like, well, hey, at least we're eating good, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've had to apologize on on many of my friends' behalfs on that. So they're like, hey, man, can you not post that stuff? Like, like, right, right. Really, yeah, like, yeah. You know, you're making my life harder. I'm like, yeah, well, exactly. I, I apologize. Yeah. So, Time to learn yeah. some new skills on my end. EP, man, this is great chat, man. I, I really, again, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and, you know, just kind of taking us through your path and, and everything there, Benedictine. And you know, it's just an awesome conversation, man. I'm really grateful for you making the time. Well, you know, it, it goes without saying what you've done for California, you know, high school baseball and prep baseball. Um, it's, it's, I've known you for a long time and I've seen it grow and I've seen what you do for these kids. And, and for me, I, we need more of you guys running around and, and, and helping grow this game and doing it the right way. So I, I appreciate everything that you're doing and, and, and really I appreciate your friendship and, and, and thanks for inviting me on today. Likewise, buddy. I, I, that really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care of yourself, bud. 
I'd like to thank Eric Peterson of Benedictine College for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news, rankings, and event information in California. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.